0: So one of the things that's really interesting is we are obviously in a different space right now and yet pretty much all of you have found the place that you sit exactly in our regular location. Sometimes habit is a good thing. And what I can say even more than that is that the best things in life are movable feasts. And Wellsprings is a movable feast. So two decades ago, I was writing a final paper for my Hebrew Bible class in the seminary, and it was kind of one of the summing up papers, answering the question, what did you most learn in this class?" Now, most of my fellow students were from Christian traditions, which means they have a different relationship with the Bible than we do as Unitarian Universities. It's more core, it's more central, it is the sole and final authority, whereas for us, it has a vote, a voice, not a veto. Like to say at our best as Unitarian Universalists, we take the Bible seriously, but never literally. And so I answered this question, what did you most learn in this Hebrew Bible class, by focusing not on Hebrew homiletics or ancient Israelite culture, but on how the Bible is used in current day and in our tradition. Handed it in. A week or so later, I got the response back. The grade reading my professor's words, I can't say this reflects anything learned in this class. (laughs) Not a promising start. (laughs) Continues. And what a pity for me. Him. A compelling paper. Grade 100%. That still feels good after all this year, okay. so <laughs> thank What I wrote about was the quote in the book of Micah, one of the prophets. Micah 6, 8. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love, sometimes as mercy or kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It is a very unitarian, universalist way to approach scripture. It's not about doctrine. It's about character. It's about practice, not orthodoxy. It's about relationship, not ritual. And it was this quote that most reminded me of the subject of today's Spirit Flix movie. Mr. Rogers. Won't you be my neighbor? Now I gotta tell you, when I heard this movie was coming out, I was excited, but I also had a lot of trepidation. Like, is this gonna be an expose? Are we gonna find out that, personally, he was a complete SOB? We're we gonna get all the dirt on Mr. Rogers, and one of the very core foundations of my Generation X 1970s, early 1980s childhood was just gonna completely crumble. But no, this movie did not disappoint. He is still, and perhaps even more now than then, a resilience booster in a time in which strength so often poses as cruelty and the capacity to make other people afraid. If you saw the documentary, there's a moment in the beginning when Fred Rogers is sitting at a piano. He was an accomplished pianist. And he's talking using a musical metaphor about what his work with children was all about. He says, my role, what I was doing, was about helping children work through the difficult modulations of life. The things that interrupt us on our life's path that hurt. It's a regular, even joke they were turned to throughout this entire movie. That this was the most low tech even for the late 60s and early 70s circumstance that they could have for a children's program whatsoever. And they had none of the trappings, none of the jokes, none of the other things that made for popular children's television at the time. But this was the thing that mattered the most. That Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was a soft place for hard things to land. That life hurts. And kids pick up on this. And they have no trauma, and they know difficulty, and that Mr. Rogers understood that our job as adults is not just to protect, although it is that as best we can. Our job, even more when the interruptions happen, when the things come that break our hearts and break kids' hearts, is to validate and to witness and to provide space to the child's own response to grief and sadness and loss. Who Mr. Rogers was is made sense for me by this little story that I may have told you in the past, but I was thinking of it these last few weeks after I saw the documentary. It's about a child who's in a diner, and they're ordering their dinner, and they say, I would like a hot dog and fries and a Coke, and one of their parents chimes immediately in and says, no, 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 to the waitress. They will have meatloaf and mashed potatoes and milk. And without skipping a beat, the waitress turns right back to the child and says, what kind of Coke would you like? Walks away. Now, those of your parents might disagree with that, but I love that story. (laughs) And the child pauses for a moment, beaming with a smile on their face, and says, The waitress thinks I'm real. This is who Mr. Rogers was. He saw children, and I would say all of humanity, as real. There was an immediate context for this movie that I'm sure the producers could not plan and would not have planned, and we're all aware of it. It is this administration's cruel, and intentionally cruel, and inhumane policy of separating children from families at the southwestern border, people who are migrating here to America for a number of reasons. And because of this, so many of us are aware of this language, this reality, of adverse childhood experiences and childhood trauma and how it interrupts the development, the normal natural development that our tradition says everyone has a right to and everyone has the capacity to be able to grow. You can't see this movie without thinking about that and understanding how antithetical those two worldviews are, those two perspectives are. And for so many of us, including those of us here at Wellsprings, over this last, what has now been, what it seems like four weeks, eight weeks, seems like it's been going on for a long time. We've met this cruel and inhumane policy with our own heartbreak and our own righteous, soulful anger and with action. Trying to hold together this tension between hoping we can change and also recognizing that the damage that has been done to these children might never heal. That is not an excuse for an action, and it is a reality. And so many of us, a number of weeks ago, and I know it also happened a couple of weeks as well too, were on the steps of the Westchester Courthouse. I remember seeing some of you there in the crowd that night, and a big rainstorm came through, and then after the rainstorm, behold, a rainbow in the sky. And I was just like you if you were there. That felt so promising, but I caught myself, you know what? I'm getting caught up in the symbolism. You can't rush to a rainbow too quickly. Especially the more social power that we have, it means that sometimes we will rush to the happy ending or believing that happy endings are inevitable. But the truth is for the families and the kids who have been separated, We cannot say any happy ending is inevitable. And so faithfulness to them, seeing their realness, is about setting aside our own hope that a happy ending will come about and working to make at least more happy endings occur as a possibility. It's been brought to light for me by two things I've been watching on Netflix recently. One of which I've talked with you about probably to the point that you're sick of it already, but if you've seen the show, you're probably not sick of it at all because it's amazing. It's the new Queer Eye. Five, my five favorite social workers on television right now. And one of them, Karamo, second from the right, actually is a social worker. I don't know if you knew that. I love these stories because as the update to the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, it's no longer just for the straight guy. And the stories of these five men, their own heartbreaks, their own development, their own growth through this life are all included in these stories and it is amazing. And, still. It's reality TV. Get to the end of the 48, 52 minutes, whatever it is, and it all is just kind of tied up real neatly and real nicely. Ooh, transformation, yum. <laughs> yum. But transformation so often does not happen in a way that is so neat and tidy. And so another thing I've watched recently on Netflix, that whether you have Netflix or not, if you don't, find someone who does And watch Hannah Gadsby's Nanette. If you haven't heard about it before, you're hearing about it now. This is a comedian special, which Netflix has many, many of. But, with a total new awareness. Hannah Gadsby's really good at telling jokes. And she says, as a woman, as a lesbian, as someone who has been targeted for violence and has been a victim of violence and has been put out at times by her own family. She says that she is tired of making self-deprecating jokes that stunt her own humanity. She has made laughter out of her own life, and she's been successful doing it, but she is tired of making pain palatable for consumption as a cheap grace, and so she says to her audience, and she says particularly to people like me, white straight guys, I'm not going to give you an easy punchline. I'm not going to give you an easy way out. I'm not going to relieve the tension you might feel of hearing my story, and instead she offers something so much better. See me. Hear my story. Join in my story. And then, maybe for the first time, we'll have the opportunity for real grace together. Real relationship. It's like if you take all the realness, all the rawness, all the amazingness of Nate Brown and you reduced it into a concentrated 68 minutes, I think it was, of comedy special. That's not at all a comedy special. You would have. Nanette. It's like we interrupt this previously scheduled comedy special to bring you a real, raw life. And it is amazing. Because for those of us who are watching, we are not expected, especially if we hold positions of social power, to be just spectators anymore, but to be participants. This is the deepest hope there is to be real participants in each other's lives, not just spectators. This is how healing will come about. It's like Fred Rogers said. There is no normal life free of pain. It's the wrestling with our problems. Individually, collectively, it's the wrestling with our problems that is the impetus for our growth. And the documentary lets you know in his own story that he was a sickly boy. He was bullied, and he was lonely, and he never forgot that. He didn't look too quickly to the end of the rainbow and said, oh, it turned out great for me. He remembered what it was like to be marginalized. He remembered his own loneliness, and so he made a bridge out of that loneliness towards other people, and through that created a place in which the hard things in this life, the interruptions could land, and people could find a place to belong, even at our most painful. This is one of the great paradoxes that I love about Fred Rogers, is that he was so fastidious even kind of fussy. (laughs) But he made such profound space for the messy things. His show talked about death and divorce and war and racism, and he was willing to interrupt the default status quo of not noticing or saying, oh, their kids will just get over it in time, of not witnessing or diminishing or wanting quick resolution, and instead he met those places in his kid's life, and also in my life, by the way, with justice, mercy, and kindness. Some of you know this picture. I think I've even preached on this picture in the past. This is Officer Clemens, Francois Clemens. This picture, some of you may know, occurred in the context of something Mr. Rogers was quite aware of and many people alive at the time were aware of, hopefully caring about, but some people not at all. An image from the news of a black family trying to integrate a formerly restricted pool and having the manager of that pool dump caustic poisonous chemicals into that pool while that African-American family was swimming in. This is the context in which Mr. Rogers asked Officer Francois Clemens, the actor playing him, come join me in this pool, let us be together here. This is what quiet radicalism looks like, and holding up a different hope for humanity. And by the way, the movie doesn't let him off the hook for all the ways in which he was a product of his time. The real Francois Clemens, not the officer the actor, was a gay man and a gay man who was deeply closeted during the 1970s and got back to Fred Rogers at one point that Francois Clemens was seen at a gay bar in downtown Pittsburgh and Mr. Rogers gave him a choice which wasn't a choice at all either don't do quote unquote that, essentially be yourself or lose your space on the show Mr. Rogers wasn't perfect, he wasn't a saint he was limited in the way so many of us are limited. And in time, Mr. Rogers asked for Francois Clemens' forgiveness. And they had a decade-long friendship. This was the magic of the neighborhood. And it was a safe space for unsafe things. Like all good neighborhoods, it had boundaries. It was not everything goes. But it was this promise, when the painful interruptions happen, as is inevitable in all of our lives, rather than closing down or hardening our hearts, even while we're maintaining appropriate healthy boundaries, will we choose kindness over cruelty? Will we interrupt that causal logic that so often takes root in so many lives of hurt people hurt people? And we interrupt that with kindness and mercy and love. And so we can practice here today how it is to sit with interruption. It's our own small scale interruption as the people of Wellsprings. When I left for Ireland a few weeks back, I didn't think that when I returned to the pulpit, It would be here. And so we obviously thank you from the depth of our hearts, the people of MLUC and to this congregation for offering us such neighborliness. I can guarantee you that I'm feeling what you're feeling. Maybe not exactly the same measure, but I've touched it in the last five, six days since I've been back. Fear, uncertainty, anger... How it is to sit in that place as a worship leader who was our preacher last week, Chris Chappelle, when she talked about what it is to not know yet. What I can say with complete transparency and integrity is that right now our relationship with the school is unresolved. We don't know. That doesn't feel good for me and in the midst of what doesn't feel good. And we all practice that honesty. Being with each other. Because truthfully, this is what I came back home to. Not just the uncertainty, and not just the up knowing, and not just all those difficult feelings, but what I've come back home to, as I've made sense of the ten dizzying days that I was out of the country and what was happening here with all of you, is that we have what matters. The joke about the movable feast was not a joke. The trust, the willingness to work together, the willingness to be vulnerable, the willingness to be with this uncertainty in helpful, skillful ways, justly, kindly, humbly, this is what will matter in time to come. I would say whatever the resolution is, it is the only thing that will matter. Because that travels with us wherever we are. Here, at the school, anywhere. And it is so consistent with one of our core beliefs at Wellsprings. Just, just as the caterpillar contains the seed of the butterfly yet to be, we all contain the seeds for new life within each and every one of us. But of course, you know, if we really pay attention and use that not just as a metaphor, but the reality of the caterpillar into the chrysalis becoming the butterfly, it is not... I can't snap at this end. sorry. It is not miracle Bra. It's not instantaneous. Kind of like how this comic put it that I love. Dude, I don't think you were in your cocoon long enough. Uh, It was just so boring in there. <laughs> Little guy can't quite understand that sometimes it's just necessary to sit with the interruptions. When our life course veers off and we wish it would not have done so, and yet this is absolutely the truth of who we are right now in this moment, can we stay in those unsafe places with the safety of our integrity, our decency, our love and our kindness. These things are true refuge. Premature maturity is not real maturity. We cannot rush the rainbow. We can trust that unfolding together, allow it to deepen us, connect us in this way, and it's profoundly important, with everyone else who in much more large scale ways knows fear and uncertainty We can draw ourselves closer to love by opening our hearts for what this time means for us. WWFRD. What would Fred Rogers do? It's a question I've asked myself a lot. And so I want to conclude with something that wasn't what he said. Because, by the way, focusing on famous people and just saying, oh, what they did, they had it all right, that sets them up here and puts us down here and is no use to what whatsoever. If, however, we ask the question of how did they live and how would we like to live, that's the transformative piece for us. And so when this movie was coming out, even before it was released, there was a lot of buzz around it on social media. And I saw this. His, he, his demeanor always gave me a real creepy feeling about him. I know he's great with the kids and a good man, but I can only take so much of his voice and manners before I get a yucky feeling and had to change the channel. Now, the truth is, I know other people who feel this way about Mr. Rogers. That's not my experience at all, and that's totally okay. And because it's a social media, oh boy, do people freaking bounce. (laughs) How could you say that? What's wrong with you? Don't you understand what he stood for? Ah, Everything, everything that social media does wrong, until social media did something right with the next post further down. You know what he probably would have done if you'd said that to him? He'd have asked you why you felt that way, accepted the difference, and still treat you like a friend. How about the rest of the commentators on here trying doing that on a site dedicated to such a great and kind man? WWFRD. The greatest of all the Fred Rogers quotes that I know is this one. Love is at the root of everything, our learning, our relationships, love or the lack of it. Love is at the root of everything, our learning, our relationships, love or the lack of it. This wasn't about him. This is about us. And so right now, in our own moment of interruption, we can practice this. I'd say there is no practice more important than this. To turn towards each other. To trust one another. To maybe understand at times, out of fear, out of not knowing, out of uncertainty, the love may ebb a little bit. And to ask ourselves in that moment, Where there is or may be that lack of love, how can we be the love that this moment, this relationship, this world needs? Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me?
1: Breathing in and breathing
0: out. Noticing what it is like right now to stand on this ground or sit on this ground of this moment, this reality. Breathing in and breathing out this spirit that connects us with all life, that connects us with our heroes and our villains, that connects us most profoundly with ourselves and the lives that we would hope to lead. At those moments in which our life course is interrupted, in which things veer off the map, this is when our capacity to draw new maps, to cultivate and create a land and a way of loving that bonds us closely to one another, holds the spaces between us while still in boundary ways, allowing those spaces to be spaces, and contributes to the healing of this sometimes very broken, very hurting world. Amen.